us right now is a comedian who's a regular here at the uh, Improv in Los Angeles. Would you welcome Bill Maher? And, and admittedly, over the years, we've had our troubles with candidates, some of them we don't like. I mean, I myself thought, you know, that over the last 20 years, uh, I thought, as far as popularity, that Johnson and Nixon were about the bottom of the barrel. But <laughs> Carter proved that if you lift up the barrel, <laughs> there's some things down there. But we have the choice. That's important. This is America. We decide which clowns run the circus here. Your special on HBO. Would you welcome Bill Maher? Yes, I was uh, raised Catholic formally, <laughs> as many people were, but I always had the Jewish mind. So, you know, when I went into confession, I would bring a lawyer in with me. <laughs> Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I think you know Mr. Cohen. <laughs> That's a big, massive joke. Well, oh. I certainly got enough mileage out of it on this show. <laughs> you certainly have. Why not? Uh, we'll take a break and we're coming right back. And finally, new rule. Before leaving this election behind, we must all thank Donald Trump for the one good thing he did. He exposed evangelicals, who are big Trump supporters, as the shameless hypocrites they've always been. I don't know if you noticed, but Republicans didn't get to play the Jesus card this time around because it's hard to bring up the Ten Commandments when your candidate spent his life breaking all of them. Trump's commandments are like the regular commandments with LOL at the end. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. It's funny because it's true. A note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody. Another dollar, another day. Uh, in this case, a, another week, another podcast, and another zero dollars. This is the supposedly for-profit venture known as a Stone on Air podcast, the Weekly Dose. Back in its Wednesday home, a midweek download destination for thousands in downtown Chattanooga, Metro Chattanooga, and the Southeast combined. I can't hit all the marks perfect every time. I appreciate you guys finding the show. It is the Weekly Dose for June 27th, and really, effectively, for all intents and purposes, my year is damn near over, pretty much right about now. Hopefully get a little postseason baseball out of the Braves, or at least some late-run pennant race in September. Then go to a few Titans games, and then basically just waiting to do the year 2019. Very similarly, similarly to the way that I did the year 2018, and 17, and 16, and 15, and 14, and 13, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's just kind of how my routine goes. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just what it is, what it is, if we're going to throw around some cliches around today. So, uh, yeah, this show's every Wednesday. The, the schedule's been all shuffled around here recently, and I appreciate you guys' patience. I know it's, it's a little annoying when something you're looking for at a certain time during the week 
is not there, that can be a uh, frustration, and I, I get that. So the uh, the idea, the goal is, is to keep it available for download every Wednesday. Let's see what what's going on today. What I don't have is uh, any kind of really uh, major show prep this week. I don't have a show sheet. I don't have an outline. I don't have anything to read. I'm just kind of winging it. So this this show might be 30 minutes. It might be 45 minutes. It might be an hour and a half. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to touch on a couple things here in the beginning and lay out the next couple of segments and then uh, get right to it. So I was in Nashville over the weekend as you guys know, uh, anybody who listens regularly, I spend a lot of time in Nashville. Love, 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 love the city. Would live there if I could find work that could support my, um, you know, my my lifestyle. Which I there's just it doesn't exist in Nashville. I could go work at Lightning 100 tomorrow. Could probably get a job at uh, 104.5 The Zone. Both are radio stations that I cherish as a listener. Um, but both are radio stations that aren't going to pay me any kind of real amount of money. So it's just a pipe dream at this point. But I went up to uh, to go see Bill Maher at the Ryman. And it is it kind of came out of nowhere. My brother is up there with his uh, soon-to-be wife, and, and they have a, a going-on three-year-old kid, and uh, they just live a domesticated life. And like any opportunity to do something a little different, and so she got him tickets to Bill Maher at the Ryman for Father's Day. And he was kind of not, I don't know, shocked is the right word. Let's just say surprised. Um, and I was very surprised because I didn't think my brother liked Bill Maher or, or would maybe even, not that he wouldn't like him, that he just, I don't know, we'd never talked about it before. I love Bill Maher. And by the way, I've been talking about this. Trump exposed evangelicals long before I ever heard Bill Maher say anything about that. So just so you guys don't think that I'm ripping off his material and using it as a as an original, authentic uh, thought, uh, we just think the same on that situation. Anyway, so he gets a hold of me a couple weeks ago and says, do you want to go see Bill Maher? And I said, well, shit, yeah, I mean, I guess. Why, why the hell not? It's on a Sunday night, and that just gives me uh, an excuse to go missing to Nashville for a couple of days. Went up, had some cookouts. I have several friends in Nashville, but almost all of them uh, didn't show up except for one uh, to hang out. But, of course, that's adult life, right? Adulting, as the millennials like to say. Like, uh, I've been adulting for a long time. People are like, oh, man, this adulting thing's so hard. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> you could ask me that a long time ago, bro. Anyway, uh, so we cook out, we eat, drink, and do all those normal things. And went to the Ryman. And it was, I don't know if it sold out, but it was a bit, It was a packed show. Ryman's great. And it was hysterical. It was great. And I I can coexist with um, um, opposite uh, political beliefs. I can coexist with opposite religious beliefs. I can coexist with opposite fandom, uh, you know, uh, allegiances. Very, very well, as a matter of fact. But there is something that is so comforting about knowing that you're in a room with 3,000, I don't know how many people are rhyming holds, but we're just going to say, I think it's around three. 3,000 people that you know you agree with 100% for one evening. It's just There's just something almost therapeutic about something like that. And anybody can say that in certain settings. That's what a Pearl Jam show has always been for me for the uh, for over the 20 years of going to Pearl Jam shows. The first one I went to was in 1998, so it's literally been 20 years. Probably seen them maybe 15 times, maybe not quite 15 times. And it's there is something spiritual about 
being in a room and in a in a place in a setting where you know that no matter who you run into, you're going to be of like-minded people. And uh, that made for a really, really fun night. And then we drank way too much on a Sunday. And it made for an awful Monday. I haven't talked to my brother. I haven't, he doesn't drink like I do. My guess is he had an even worse Monday. So that was the uh, weekend in Nashville. And I enjoyed it very much. So I pulled up some old audio from, um, from Bill. That was from Merv Griffin. Back in 1984 was the first clip. The middle clip was uh, The Tonight Show with Carson. I don't know. That might have been more like 88, 89. And then the final clip was just from his uh, his HBO show in the last you know two years or, or whatever it is. But I enjoyed it, and I get it. He's a, little, he's a bit of a kook. He's over the top. He says things sometimes he might not even necessarily mean just to get a rise. And uh, I, just, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. All right, so coming up on today's show. In the second segment, I found audio from Bernie Sanders from 1993. This is so great. When you look back, especially now, my God, especially now, and you start looking at finding all these old clips in an era where nothing ever dies, where the internet keeps everything forever, the archives are so vast and so wide open, you've got to be careful what you say. Why? Because people can go back and find out what you used, what you said. It's all archived. And almost everybody, especially back in the primaries and even after the primaries, of from Mitch McConnell to, to Marco Rubio to Jeb Bush to uh, 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 Sanders, Huckabee, uh, not Sanders, but uh, asshole Mike uh, Huckabee, uh, who else? Ted Cruz, all these lying, hypocritical pieces of spit. Every one of them saying all this, oh, Trump, he's a fraud. Trump's a con man. Oh, we hate this guy. And now all of a sudden they love the guy because they're all hypocritical, lying assholes. Kind of the whole point of what this was all wrapped around with, with what uh, Bill Maher said at the front of the show. What's the most refreshing thing that could possibly happen is that when you go find audio from Bernie Sanders, it's always consistent. Hillary Clinton's not always consistent. Barack Obama's not always consistent. Bill Clinton was never even close to consistent. George W. Bush was never consistent. George H.W., Ronald Reagan, the list goes, Jimmy Carter, on and on and on and on. None of these people are ever consistent, except for one person, and that's Bernie Sanders. And I was wrong two and a half years ago, or whatever the timeline is, when I tried to downplay the Bernie bros, as I call them. I was wrong. That guy should be our president. That guy would make America as great as it could possibly be. And I'll get into that with some healthcare conversation. Just, just spitballing, throwing things on the wall. I've got, again, not, not much here uh, prepared for today's show. That'll be in the second segment. In the final segment, two years ago, two days ago, meaning the 24th, three days ago, I guess it is, the 24th of June, Asshole Talk Radio 102.3 fired me because somebody, still haven't figured out exactly who, went through my text, uh, excuse me, my Facebook page, my instant messenger, hack, effectively hacked into my social media, found a conversation I had with Robert T. Nash, and then fired me because of it. Well, I'm going to give you a conversation I had with Robert T. Nash just the other, over the course of the last couple of weeks, involving talk radio. So if I'm going to save talk radio the the uh, the effort of trying to, again, hack into my Facebook page and just read what they'd read if they were to happen to get into my Facebook page again two years later. And it's on Styles and the station. I'll give you our back and forth from the last uh, couple of weeks. And 
I'm going to tell you in that third segment how I am going to bring you lots of exclusive content involving Robert T. Nash and Jeff Styles. The radio station isn't going to do it. Nobody else has any way to bring you Jeff and RTN. I have a way to bring you lots of audio and show substance and, and content regarding and involving Jeff Styles and Robert T. Nash over the course of the next couple of weeks. And you're not going to get it anywhere else than other than in this podcast. And I'll explain that further at the tail end of the show. But just to get things going here in this first segment, I wasn't even planning on doing this till a couple of minutes ago. There's a big storm on Tuesday night, and I was watching the Braves game, and I was trying to come up with something to chit-chat about. And then I, I saw the, um, the Supreme Court upheld the travel ban that uh, Trump's been trying to push through for the last month and a half, or excuse me, year and a half, or however the hell long it is. And it's not something I have this really, really high-end opinion on. Um, of course, I figured eventually, if any of it went to the Supreme Court, that it you know, anything's going to go 5-4 now because of the uh, appointment of, what's his name, Gorsuch or whatever, after Mitch McConnell uh, obstructed the uh, the appointees from the final year of Obama's administration. And, you know, that's politics. That's what happens. I'm not trying to cry about it, but that's exactly what happened. And so I'm not, you know, I don't know. Am I surprised? I don't know. I didn't think about it. I didn't know it was coming. But it is interesting how America is so scared of anybody who's not a pale, white-skinned person. Um, I'm not saying we're a bunch of racists. I'm not saying this is a bad country. I, I won't run around wearing a hat says America's already great. I think America is already incredibly great. This is already a great place to be. We're not making it great again, MAGA types. It's just not what's happening here. Uh, there are some delusional, foolish people, most of which are probably not even registered to vote, that are really getting off on this and think it's an incredible TV show. America's already great. And we need, there's studies and studies and documents and articles from people who know what they're talking about, numerous, countless out there, expressing the need we, that we have for immigrant workers to get all this work that you know lazy, asshole, white American people won't do. But there's just something about being so scared of anybody who is of a different shade of skin. And, I'll, I, and I, I'm, I almost said I'm never going to understand it, but I do understand it. I do understand it because I was raised in this kind of environment, not from a family values of, of be scared of, of black people and, and tan people and, and different races, but I, I, I mingled amongst my culture. I'm, I use the word, the, the, the terminology all the time that most people have no idea what it means. Ethnocentric, ethnocentrism, something like that, ethnocentric. We, we all are taught and, and, and learn through our basic upbringings that the culture we live in is superior to others. That doesn't make you racist, but it makes you ethnocentric. And I believe that we're virtually all somewhat ethnocentric. And I do believe that the way I live and the people I conduct myself, my work and my business and my amusement and my play with is the best. If it wasn't, I'd do something different. And so I get that why we're scared of things being rocked. And then there's things like terrorism from all over the world. But then we have we have our own crazies terrorizing our 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 country and our communities. I mean, what about the the shooting down in Parkland or whatever it was down in Florida that had all the kids and all that stuff? That kid that did all who is that? Some white dude. We don't know. There's not big profiles on it. 
There's not a big show every other night talking about the crazy white kid that killed, that shot up the place. What about the one in Texas? Uh, in what in Santa Fe, Texas? That's a white kid. What about him? He's not dead. What's his story? We're we're not all that concerned with that. That's just a crazy, weird white kid. It's not that interesting to us. But when you get a dark-skinned person who might not be from here, well, now we've got ourselves some television shows and some programming. That's how we're up. That's how we're wired. It doesn't even necessarily make us bad or you or me or anybody else who might fall into that trap. It, it, we can't help it. You know, it's, it's the learned behavior, whether we meant to learn it or not, is there. And I, I do it. I see sometimes in certain areas of town where somebody who doesn't look somewhat like me, it concerns me. It shouldn't. Likely in some settings and sometimes it should. You got to be careful. But we are scared of people that are not Caucasian in this country. And so people are going to be excited about this, I guess. Um, I don't know how big of a deal it is. I don't really care who does or doesn't travel in and out of the country. It's a bad look, but there's so many bad looks in the last, you know, two and a half years. And then the last 20 and a half years that sometimes you just pick and choose what I do and don't decide to care about. And this is one that I don't necessarily care about. The thing at the border with the kids, I don't understand what's going on there. I haven't followed it close enough. I'm just so apathetic to the news these days. And I, I don't understand why that push was made. I think that was an un, uh, a bad calculation by the Trump administration at first, thinking, man, we're really going to rock some people. We're going to get some people upset about this and realize, oh, shit, we, we actually do need to do something about that. So I, I, don't, I don't really understand what that move is all about. But, I mean, there is legal and illegal immigration, and it needs to be handled. And I'm, I'm not an open borders kind of guy. But I'm also not a guy that spends any time really giving a shit about all that that much. I don't know. Call me an asshole, if you will. I don't know. So one of my favorite guys ever, you've probably heard me talk about it over the years, John Meacham. He's a presidential historian. He is from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's really more from, I think it's more like Cleveland. He went to the Swanee of the South, whatever that college is. I think he uh, went to high school in more towards Cleveland. He is one of my favorites, and he was on The View uh, yesterday morning talking about this very situation, the uh, the, the Supreme Court decision yesterday as far as upholding the travel ban this is uh, them asking him are you surprised by the supreme court decision not given the composition of the court uh if you wanted an, yet another exhibit of why elections matter uh this decision this morning is, is right up there uh it, the great triumph of the mitch mcconnell strategy of obstruction in the last year of president obama's term to keep that seat uh has uh paid dividends for the uh conservative part of the republican party I think to some extent, part of the Republican Party did, in fact, sell their soul for the Supreme Court. And this is a 40-year strategy of theirs. And it worked perfectly. It worked perfectly. They were able to push it off until uh, they didn't know and certainly couldn't have predicted, they being the Republicans, that uh, their next president would be Donald Trump. But it worked out well for the traditional conservative Republicans. They've got their the fifth um, uh, Supreme Court justice who is a young, younger guy. Uh, he can't be much into his 50s, mid-50s maybe. So he'll be on the Supreme Court for, as John just said, 40 years. John Meacham on why the fear the other strategy seems to work. It's working because it has always worked to some extent. Uh, I don't like it when people say this isn't America because that lets us off the hook. What President Trump is, is the most vivid manifestation of some of our worst instincts. And when people say, oh, somehow or another we've been hijacked in 2016, we weren't, we were pushed back. 
And to some extent, what, what the president's governing on is a politics of grievance and white nostalgia, honestly. I put this together at the last second as far as these three clips, so I apologize for that sloppy edit right there. This is the third and final clip I have from John Meacham. What makes the president of the United States or anybody of a high-level ranking officer, what makes them memorable? And the, and the terrible thing, one of the many terrible things about this is the presidents we remember, the public figures we remember, the John McCain's, the George Herbert Walker Bush's, the Franklin Roosevelt's, are those who reached out in hope, not in fear. They're ones who reached beyond their base. This is not a partisan point. I voted for Democrats and Republicans. But historically speaking, the presidents we want to emulate and the presidents we commemorate are the ones who pointed forward, not at each other. John Meacham, another crappy edit, sorry. <laughs> John Meacham, a presidential historian, a uh, best-selling author. He's been the editor of several magazines. I can't remember what they are. don't have it pulled up in front of me right now. It is a lifelong goal that I have a sit-down interview with him, or if, nothing, uh, if not just through the phone. One of these days, because I am from his city of birth, the chances are maybe that can happen someday although not all that likely. My name is Brian. This is the Stone On Air podcast. Thank you for showing up. Coming up next, Bernie Sanders never contradicts himself, or at least I haven't found a clip that contradicts himself. And I'm just going to kind of give you some of my anecdotal thoughts on the overall healthcare system in the country. Why? Well, because this is one of those, I do memos to self, notes to self. I literally have a pad of paper I carry around with me that I write down ideas and sometimes I just circle and say we'll just put that off to another time when it fits into a show when I'm running out of uh, material and this week it happened to be that audio from Bernie Sanders from 1993 and how it doesn't differ from anything he said 25 or plus more years later Bernie Sanders I can feel the burn I wish I felt it more two and a half years ago when I was a little, um, I don't know, let's just say skeptical about the whole idea. I was wrong then, and uh, it might be too late now. I'm not sure. We'll get to that coming up next, and at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to get you more Styles and more Robert T. Nash and give you my interaction with RTN over the last two weeks as if it was hacked from my Facebook page like Talk Radio did two years ago. Hang tight. I'll be right back. three minutes to the gentleman from Vermont. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Boy, do I wish we had more time. Just a few points. Yesterday's Washington Post, the cost of health care. Here's the chart. United States, highest in the world. Everybody understands that health care in the United States per capita is far higher than in Canada, despite the fact that they have universal coverage, comprehensive coverage for all of their people. You keep using the word taxes, taxes. Let's not fool the people. In Canada, taxes are a little bit higher. But guess what? They don't have to pay $2,500 per person for private health insurance. That comes out of their tax base. Sixty years ago, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as president of the United States, fought for national health care for all people. In 1948, Harry Truman campaigned for national health care for all people. How has it happened that the U.S. today, along with South Africa, remains the only industrialized nation on earth 
that does not have a national health care system guaranteeing health care to all people. And I'll tell you how it has happened. It has happened not because of a debate over health care. It's a debate over economics. It's a debate over the insurance companies, certain physicians, the pharmaceutical companies, the medical equipment suppliers who are making billions and billions of dollars off of human misery. The medical industrial packs have spent $60 million over the last 10 years trying to influence this Congress not to pass a national health care system. It's about the CEO of Bristol Myers Squibb, a large pharmaceutical company who makes $13 million in income in 1991, while elderly people cannot afford the prescription drugs that they need. And the reason we don't have national health care system is that the medical industrial complex is protecting the likes of Mr. Thomas First, the CEO of the Hospital Corporation of America, who last year earned, let me say it slowly, who last year earned $127 million in income running a hospital corporation at the same time millions of Americans can't get into the hospital. That's an outrage. Poll after poll shows widespread support for the Canadian health care system among their physicians, among patients, among their political leaders. Poll after poll shows widespread bad feelings, widespread unhappiness with a system that we have here in the United States of America. It is time the American people stood up and said, health care is a right of all people. Let's control health care costs. Let's do what the rest of the industrialized world does. Let us pass a single-payer national health care system. Thank you. That was 1993, Bernie Sanders in front of Congress. There is no pain you are receiving. And this is Eddie Vedder at the 12-12-12 concerts. And we're going to listen to it for a minute. So damn good. Is it with Roger Waters at the um, Hurricane Sandy Relief Concert? I have become comfortably numb. And a, a terminology I'd never heard before until I heard that from 1993. That was actually John Boehner who was introducing. Bernie's, the, the fellow from Vermont, the medical industrial complex. You often hear about the military industrial complex warned about by Eisenhower. Careful what you wish for, careful what you do here. The medical industrial complex. Because that is what that has turned into and it has for the last uh, 75 years or whatever it is and you're 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 raised it goes, goes back to learned behavior you're raised to this understanding you go to the doctor and you get these drugs and you get these medications 
and they and they take care of you, right? And you just when it anytime there's any kind of ailment, you just go to the doctor. And I have become so skeptical and so cynical when it comes to American healthcare these days. I can't see straight. And this is not a political situation that I usually come from an angle here. Now, politics gets into everything if you're not careful. But this idea that healthcare sh- should not be a right, that it sh- should stay this pri- uh, privatized you know, entity, billions and billions of dollars a second made off of, 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 of human misery. I mean, he, Bernie Sanders just said it. Off of human misery. And here's where I, I I feel like I have credibility in this conversation is, is that I don't abuse the medical industry in this country. And I have amazing, amazing genetics. And I am never sick and an incredible immune system. And I am as drug-free as I've ever been in my life. Now, I got people in my family who also share some of these same traits and genetics and um and overall uh, wellness that better than the average person walking around maybe or or at least better than where the, the bottom level is of where people have chronic illnesses and chronic pains and chronic issues. I, I have people in my family that abuse it all the time. I have people in my family that are healthcare professionals. And so I, I, I dance on a line here to be careful that I don't offend people. But my, my brother in Nashville I was talking about earlier we, he's got some condition, I can't remember, some kind of, di- uh, it's not diabetes, but it's got, uh, and it's not arthritis, but it's got some of the same characteristics, and it's got an actual uh, diagnosis, and he's got to do these different things, and he's got to continue for re- recurring treatments uh, for pain in his, in his extremities. Now, I have these same kinds of problems, they're just nowhere near the exact same thing. They're similar in their effects, but they're not similar in, uh, in the way that they come about. And he, he got a diagnosis, and he got a regimen, and he got antibiotics or, or certain kinds of prescriptions, and he continues to go back and see the doctor. And if that doesn't work, we'll try this. And if that doesn't work, we'll try this. And I asked him, and he almost got a little irritated with me because I am kind of, I'm a little abrasive on this one at times, but I said, are you sure? Like, do you, do you believe that this guy, whoever this doctor or gal is, isn't just trying to, to sell you medication, isn't just trying to bill uh, the insurance companies because he's got great insurance. Luckily, I have great insurance too. Are you, I mean, are you, are you sure? Do you feel good about it? And, and he was a little defensive, like, yeah, I mean, this guy, th- this is good. I mean, we're working on this. It's going to, we're going to fix. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. I wasn't trying to start an argument. I was asking a legitimate question because I don't believe that even the best, most well-intentioned doctor in a privatized, uh, money-making medical industry has anything other in their best interest than to sell you something, than to, than to, to, to make you a repeat customer. Why did America make shitty cars back in the you know, late 70s and into the 80s? Because they got this concept, this idea, before they realized they had to shift their, uh, their, their philosophy that if we buy, if we build really good cars, they're not going to come back and buy more cars. So let's buy these shitty ones that break down all the time, and they'll come back and buy more cars. Well, they realize after a while that didn't work, so they just have just changed around how they do things. If you if you cure somebody, then you're you're done. You're not coming back. You don't need any more pharmaceutical uh, distribution 
all those lunches that were paid for in the in the lunchroom at all the doctor's offices all over the city, those those pharmaceutical reps, they need you to sell their products. That's what this is all about. Keep people sick. Keep people miserable. Let them live with it. Magic Johnson and his HIV and AIDS is the perfect, you know, South Park style uh, example. Let people live with this and they'll keep coming back. They'll be return repeat customers. You'll build a rapport with them. You'll build a relationship with them. You'll build their trust and they'll come back for more of these drugs over and over and over again. That is the medical industrial complex which has become this country. And then it turns into this political thing. People get all pissed off over the years, constantly on the talk station and other message boards and other places to have conversation and dialogue and back and forth on this is you always get, this is just a dumbed down idiot American. Oh, well, why don't you go ask somebody in Belgium how their healthcare is? Yeah, they'll tell you. Why don't you go, uh, why don't you go ask somebody in Canada? Yeah, how that healthcare works for you. Numbnut asshole, I have talked to Canadians, Belgium, uh, natives, Germans, uh, people from the UK. I've talked to people from all around the world over the course of my 20 years of doing this kind of stuff. Now, I don't mean countless amounts of them. I would put it on a two hands can count. So we'll say 10-ish over the years that do nothing but rave about the results they get from their national health care. Constantly. I have heard this. I've read about it more that aren't so anecdotal that just are things that I've read from other pers- people's situations and anecdotes. That, that's such a boring, poor, bullshit, lazy way of approaching this. Oh, yeah, well, if you need, you, know, you better get a job. Get a job and get health care. And, and also, how stupid is that? Why is our health care connected to our employment? Why, why is it that an employee, or excuse me, an employer needs to uh, make employment insurance available to their employees why has that become such a thing because that's what we turned it into it's silly it's dumb it doesn't make any sense you should employ me and pay me to work for you you shouldn't have to also give me insurance now i am in a wonderful situation where i have insurance that's so cheap and so high quality it's damn near free because i have a great day job employment that i've only had now since october my old job didn't have that it was still insurance but it I call. I paid a shitload for it. So yay me, lucky me, you know, middle-aged white guy, uh, male, full head of hair, somewhat not uh, the most ugly guy you've ever seen, high metabolism, great genetics dude over there has got it made. Well, who didn't know that? But how many people out there don't? And then how many people abuse the situation? And the op- opioids uh, epidemic is so real and so scary and so awful can't go to sleep, go to the doctor and get some Ambien. Guess what you might do? Wake up in the middle of the night, go drive and kill yourself on accident. Happens all the time. I'm an absolute insomniac. I could go to the doctor right now and say, hey, I don't drink, I quit. I don't drink anymore. Can I get some Ambien? And they'd give it to me. And guess what I'd do? I'd go home and I'd take an Ambien and splash it down with three or four uh, gin and tonics. And guess what I might do? Get up in the middle of the night, sleepwalk, and drive my car off the, uh, the ridge cut into uh, oncoming traffic. Just Google Ambien uh, disasters or wrecks or death. It's everywhere. And they're not concerned with whether you're telling them the truth or not. 
I've had people in my family tell me like, well, you know, are you going to go, you're going to go to the doctor, get a physical. Okay. You're going to, what are you going to talk to them about? Well, I'm going to tell them this, this, and this, and then ask them what to do about it. Well, they're not going to give you, they won't give you anything. If you tell them the truth, we're supposed to be telling them the truth. We're supposed to be getting well. We're supposed to have health and wellness. We're not supposed to mask it with drugs. Remember, smoking pot is bad. Doing drugs is awful. Your doctor is your drug dealer. The medical industry and the pharmaceutical companies are the manufacturers of the drug epidemics in this country. It's disgusting. It's infuriating. And it, it, it is, it's insulting to the way, quote-unquote, America is so great. Just got done talking about how America is so great. American healthcare is disgusting, and let's go ahead and throw the deplorable word around. It's wrong. It's not okay. It's not okay. And the medical industrial complex is why this has happened, and that's why re mostly Republicans won't vote any way other than keeping it the way that it is because all those pharmaceutical companies are donors. That's all slush funds. That's all earmarked spending. That's all money that's coming into the big big pot in the middle, the super PACs. All these things are, are funded by a handful of different major organizations. NRA, hello, anybody? The pharmaceutical conglomerates, whoever they might be, changing names. They buy each other out every other day. They reshape their... It's organized crime. It is organized crime in America. The medical industry. The healthcare industry of this country is organized crime. I wasn't exactly planning on going into that much of a rant, but when I found that from Bernie Sanders, it made me think, damn it, this guy is the only one who's constantly saying the same thing. This guy is the only one who doesn't change his tone based on who his, who's listening to him. This is the guy who doesn't change his mind because of who might or might not be d donating to his, uh, to his campaign or to, to, to his uh, whatever his plight is. This guy is real. Bernie Sanders is authentic. Hashtag feel the burn. This guy's real, and I didn't give him the credit he deserved two and a half years ago. And not that that would have made any difference or changed the way an election went. I just, I've, I was all like, I'm with her. Her, screw her, I'm with him. Feel the damn burn. Drain the swamp. I say things uh, that uh, you know everybody else is thinking. I'm here to change things. I'm not a politician. Bullshit, you liars. Trump and all you, all the MAGA types. Bull spit. That guy, Bernie Sanders, is the only one who never changes his tune, never changes his tone, never changes his message. And as Eisenhower said, be careful of the military-industrial complex. Bernie told you to be careful of the medical-industrial complex. And that's what it's become. You want to go get high? You want to go get stoned? Hell, just book a date with your doctor, and you'll be as high as a kite before you know it. Now, we won't have any regulations as far as operating heavy machinery or, or vehicles. We won't do anything um, you know, that, that, that helps try to curb the, uh, the, the problems that come from this, from treatment centers and the, the publicly funded um, uh, rehabilitations. We, uh, we, uh, we'll cut all that and we'll, oh, you're a loser. Oh, yeah, you have no self-control. Oh, man, mentally, now you're mentally ill because of all this. Uh, now we're going to cut mental illness uh, funding and studying. Yeah, no, we don't give a shit about any of that. But hey, you want to go get stoned? Yeah, go call Dr. Uh, you know, Dickhead over there, and he's going to give you whatever you want. All you got to do is ask for it. All you got to do is try. 
All you got to do is put on a shitty performance in a D movie and you've got whatever drug you want. Forget investing in holistic health uh, options. Forget working with, uh, you know, holistic health coaches. No, 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 no. Can't do any of that. That doesn't do you any good. Essential oils and natural remedies. No, no, no. That stuff doesn't work. You need opioids, 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 whatever the f- they're called. Don't smoke pot. That stuff's bad for you. Here's a bunch of pharmaceutical drugs that'll turn you into a zombie and make you forget your whole damn life. That's what Xanax and these drugs do. They make you forget that your life sucks. They don't fix your life. They don't do anything to help you make your life go better. They just It just makes you forget that your life sucks. It's dangerous, it's wrong, and it's scary, quite frankly. All right, I'm going to get on out here on this segment. I uh, Again, that was one of those that was just on the memo pad as to get to eventually. And uh, today just happened to be the day that I got to it. Trust me, I ain't done. We'll get back onto this one some other time whenever it becomes a little more... Uh, 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 topic friendly as far as uh, uh, relevant to the news cycle right now which obviously right now it is not alright so I'm going to step aside here for a minute get to the final segment coming up next I'm going to give you the conversation between me and Robert T. Nash through my Facebook messenger so saving talk radio the time they don't have to to uh, hack into my Facebook account I'll just go ahead and read it before they were to actually maybe do that and I'll tell you how I'm going to bring you more Jeff Styles and Robert T. Nash content more than anybody else will offer you because nobody has any at all right now except for me. That's coming up next. There is no pain you are receiving Like distant ship smoke on the horizon You are only coming through Well, great. That's nice to hear. Just good to hear your voice. Glad you're filling in. You all, you always did a great job. I enjoyed listening to you, and it's just good to hear a voice from the past. Thank you. Well, you're very kind, Amanda. Thank you. I guess if I'd had any game, I would have asked for her phone number. I am not a good judge of what women find attractive in men. I never uh-huh. have been. It is my perception that the Brian Joyce fancies himself a ladies' man, You know, I don't know Brian Joyce. I don't know the Brian Joyce. Again, you have to understand, I moved back to Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1996, which was a very transitional year for Talk Radio WGOW 102.3 FM, and I came to this stick as a fan. And then I transitioned to, I came as a casual listener, became a fan, then a caller, and, uh, started guest hosting pretty regularly and in terms of my career such as it is in media which uh, you got to be tougher than mike tyson to work in this game any length of time you know you can make your calvin sneed jokes your jed mescon jokes uh but those guys uh david carroll those are committed professionals who are good at what they do and keep it up no matter what their prospects are but uh 
I'm of the generation that was one of the first groups of journalism students who were trained in what they call computer-assisted research, combing databases, public records. And like most people working in the newspaper business, I got sick of starving. I got sick of being broke. I got sick of eating turkey hot dogs. So I jumped over to writing for business, which really taught me how to build and manipulate and utilize databases. Welcome back to the show, Robert T. Nash in December of 2015 on the Fraud Mo- or, oh, excuse me, on the Talk Monster. Talk Radio 102.3 and War Pigs, he often uses bumper music. And I found some flash drives. I found some flash drives. More on that here in a few minutes. Back in December of 2015, it was the second time that the tortured soul, the pansy, feeble-minded Brian Joyce had another breakdown. Girl broke up with him or something. Jesus Christ, dude, join the club. I have, for the record, never broken up with a girl in my life. Every single girl I've had any kind of relationship with has left me because I'm impossible and I understand that. So yeah, join the club, dickhead. But so anyway, he loses his mind twice, twice. And one time just out of nowhere just needs to leave. And I do get that. I've had issues where I just said, and I did it once too, uh, probably in 2014, uh, 13, 14, I don't know, somewhere in there where I went to Bill and because Bill was my always my confidant and I just said, man, I need a week. I got to go. I got to get my head clear. This is Things are not working for me. And part of it had to do with a girl and had to do with other things too. But so Joyce just takes off because he can't, you know, he can't do anything other than talk about himself well. And um, he just needs to leave for a week out of nowhere. Okay, fine. All right. I, I get it. There's your pass. There's your, your get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, then in December of 15, after that's already happened, asshole Joyce just leaves in the middle of a show, a live rolling radio talk show. He just walks out the door and leaves and ends up in North Carolina. That is one of the most unforgivable situations you can you can be in. And, of course... Those, you know, spineless cowards uh, that, that run that radio station didn't get rid of them, didn't fire them. It's totally a fireable offense. It's unforgivable. And uh, so he just ends up, you know, just walks out the door and just leaves this radio, uh, radio station just wide ass open and, and just just empty. And they pull up some something from the other day and play it, and it's just awful. Just just garbage. I mean, just like the fraudulent nature of everything they do over there. It was creeping in badly about that time. 14, 15, 16. It was just turning into pure trash. A once great radio station, as Bill Lockhart has said out loud, which he'll call you a, me a liar for saying that, but it's he's I'm not lying. He said that because he meant it and he was right. So Joyce just takes off, and so mad scramble, Kevin West puts in Robert T. Nash to host the show for a week, 15 hours, and um, that's bold. That is a bold decision. That is a daring decision, and one I would not have imagined Kevin West to have the cojones, if you will, to actually do, but I think his 
mind was just so empty of what to do, he just went to the first thing he could think of. And he wasn't allowed in the building because of his blow up with uh, one of our one of the our sorry I still do that sometimes one of the um, sales people over there and I don't know the exact specifics of that nor do I really care. So he went to Let's Talk Money over at Evergreen Advisors Studio at their office and did uh, 15 hours of talk radio that week. Some of the best talk radio that this city has heard this decade came that week. Me and Bill Lockhart sat in the corner, giddy, like little schoolgirls, like giggling how happy we were and how awesome this was to have this amount of time being filled with this kind of real prepared content. It was incredible. And it lasted a week, and he and some people got all mad because before Me Too was a thing, people were getting all butthurt about things that don't matter. And he called some advertisers, and I was like, okay, that's it, you're done. I, w- I filled in for Jeff Styles at the end of that week and had put together a mashup of the best of, quote-unquote, Robert T. Nash from the week was going to play it and was told I couldn't. Kevin West told me I couldn't. Now, it wasn't his decision because he doesn't make decisions. He's not a boss. He has a title that says he's a boss, but he's not. He doesn't make any decisions. He's spineless when it comes to that. He has to listen to whoever's above him, and he does whatever they say. He's good at that. He's a nice guy. One of the nicest guys in the city of Chattanooga. An absolutely awful radio programmer and a boss because he tells everybody what they want to hear and just does whatever he's told from up above. Whatever. We all make our way in life however it works for us. I get it. I'm not mad at him. So uh, then six to eight months later, I'm fired because of that uh, asshole radio company. Somebody decided to, uh, for all intents and virtually hacked into my Facebook page and found the conversation I was having with Robert T. Nash, which I read the entire interaction on a podcast from two years ago. If you want to find it, if you're new to the show, go find it. It's easy to find, and it's uh, it's actually a pretty good listen. The Why I Was Fired, very first podcast I did, and then the Who I Was Talking To, which is a couple weeks after that, back in late uh, July of 2016. But so that was kind of the end of Robert T. Nash's run on that radio station. Will he ever get another uh, fair shake? Probably not. Will I ever get another fair shake? Eh, I do think so eventually, maybe if the, if the format sticks around for the next half decade or more. But I'm not counting on it, nor am I all that worried about it. But after Jeff Styles loses his damn mind and brings a knife to a gun sh- uh, fight the other day and gets his ass shot and uh, gets... Uh, whatever they're calling it, indefinitely uh, suspended, and now uh, the absolute dipshit of the world, uh, dickhead of the world, Brian Joyce, has taken over in the mornings. I've decided to save Talk Radio 102.3 WGOW the uh, the trouble. They don't have to hack my Facebook page to find out what me and Robert T. Nash were talking about the last couple of weeks. I have decided to go ahead and read to you the Facebook messaging between me and Robert T. Nash over the last couple of weeks. And at the end of this, I'll tell you how I'm bringing you Jeff Styles and RTN to a podcast near you here shortly. This is from, let's see, June 17th at 11.02 p.m. Will Kevin count Jeff getting popped on the newsroom whiteboard from RTN to me? I respond, who knows? I'm about to drop a podcast respectfully poking fun at Jeff and claiming I will fix WGOW. Just having fun. Thumbs up from Robert T. Nash. June 20th, RT. Good morning. Per Kevin West, Jeff is counted on the newsroom whiteboard. Do you think he will be retained as an employee? 
I do not see how he can be, but I do not know shit from a Shinola. Send word. R-T-N-X-X-X-O-O-O. Of course, the whiteboard counts the shootings of the city in, um, in the newsroom. That's just something they've done for years where they count how many shootings there are. Not deaths, not anything more specific other than just somebody being shot by a gun, regardless of who shot it and why they got shot. It's just a running list. Back to the interaction between Robert T. Nash and myself. June 20th, 944 a.m., I respond, I believe Jeff will keep his job because he always keeps his job. I guess it depends on who is in charge over there. I honestly don't know who that is, and it certainly is not Kevin. Robert T., to me, on the one hand, I would hate to see him get fired because he is not suited for anything else. On the other hand, I truly believe his conduct is so beyond the pale it is time for him to go. The rumor mill says Lee Davis, his attorney, is going to try and have him treated as a first offender. Then he sends me this link about uh, judicial diversions and criminal record expungement in Tennessee. He continues, only one problem with that, Jeff has a criminal record dating to when he was 18 years old. Part of my lack of sympathy for him is due to the fact that he showed zero concern for me when I was getting shat upon there. Anyway, sorry for bending your ears so. RTN XXX OOO. I respond, that's interesting. I'm just so used to Jeff getting away with everything that I can't see that trend ending. RT says you may be right. Jump ahead to this past Monday. Uh-oh. Jeff Styles. this is from Robert T. Jeff Styles is not on air this morning. Official word, on leave till further notice. Kevin is in Japan for Navy, so the Boston bag of wind is subbing. In my opinion, this does not bode well for Jeff. Any thoughts? Send word. I respond a little bit later on that morning. I still believe Jeff will be back. It will be akin to when Jammer would get busted drunk and smoking pot in a parking lot, and then the countdown to his triumphant return. And I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna say my exact language here, but Kevin is the biggest expletive deleted in this city. He won't fire Jeff. If someone above him decides to fire Jeff, then that's different. But Kevin West is a expletive deleted. He hired Joyce, so he will go down fighting for him, and Jeff is his buddy, and he won't fire him. Also, did I mention that Kevin West is an expletive deleted? Side note, Kevin West, one of the nicest people in this city, one I, I, I consider a kind friend, but he is an expletive deleted. RT to me, Kevin hired the Brian Joyce at the explicit order of corporate. In my view, Bill Lockhart is the expletive deleted, and I am ashamed for saying so, as he is my friend. Sidebar, Bill Lockhart is my ultimate confidant and ultimate mentor and is my friend too. I continue on with a response that says, they are all expletive deleted RTN. Me and some industry types are kicking around some ideas. I'll be in touch. And I might be in touch with the rest of you guys on that eventually too. And the last two interactions between Robert T. Nash and myself in the last day and a half, RT to me, try to tone down the bitterness, lest you will end up like me. RTN XXXOOO. The final response for me was, not gonna happen. Things are good. I'm making money, and I'm making good content. They are the lame frauds. I will not be satisfied until that station is a pile of smoldering rubble and will Facebook Live as I dance on it.
the response from Robert T. Nash is four thumbs up. And I'll put the wraps on that right there. So there you go, Talk Radio 102.3. You don't have to hack into my Facebook messages to find out what I've been talking to RTN about. I just told you. What was I talking about, about Robert T. and Jeff and me being the one to deliver the content to you? I found two flash drives that I knew I had. I just had no idea where they're at. Well, I have them now. Loaded with hours and hours of content from both Jeff Styles and Robert T. Nash. And they will be featured on multiple podcasts over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, of course. It's not new. It's not topical. But what? You don't, you've never watched Seinfeld more than once? What? Friends is only a good show one time? You've never sat down and watched The Big Bang Theory for the third time. Of course you have. And of course those things aren't true. I've got so much content between these two just icons of Chattanooga Talk Radio and they are going to be on my podcast for the next few weeks. I don't know if it's legal. I don't know if it's okay. I don't know if it violates violates, excuse me, any kind of copyright infringement or anything like that. And you know what? I don't care. For the next coming, however long it takes, a couple of weeks into July, maybe the entire month, content from Robert T. Nash and Jeff Styles. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't get it on the Fraud Monster. Fraud Radio 102.3, they don't have it. You're not getting RTN anywhere, period. Not even there specifically. You're only going to get it right here on the Stone on Air podcast, a midweek download destination for thousands in the southeast of this area of the world, of this country, and I appreciate you guys so much for finding the show. My name is Brian Stone. Do this thing every single Wednesday. If you don't know who RTN is and you don't know who Jeff Styles is and you don't care about any of this, then I am alienating you a little bit, and I apologize. But I think this is going to be fun. I think this is necessary, and I think this has to happen. So be looking for that over the course of the next uh, month and a half. And it might not happen every Wednesday. Maybe I'll just do it as a pop-up podcast on a Monday or a Thursday or a Tuesday or a Sunday. I just don't know. Because I've got to go through like 25 hours of audio. So anybody who might be like, oh, hell, Brian's just trying to take the cheap way out. He doesn't have to do a show. Trust me. Listen, talking into this microphone and doing a show with content is a hell of a lot easier than it is combing through 25 or 35 plus hours of, of old archive footage. Or I should say audio, not footage. Trust me, it ain't easier. But it's going to be fun. And it's going to be exclusive to right here at this podcast. The one that does not care what anybody does or doesn't think about what I do or anybody else. I march to my own drum. I do my own thing. And I think that people appreciate that. And I appreciate you. I'm stepping out. Going to be done for the day. And we'll do it again next week. And maybe as soon as next week, I'll have one put together. I'm just not sure. I just found the flash drives over the course of the last 24 hours. You guys take care of yourself. I love you to death if you find the show every week. I love you to death if you've never heard the show in your life. But you're chill. You're cool. You're authentic. And you're not a fraud. Then you're all right in my book. I got to fly. See you later. 